Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Well, well, good morning, good morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, or maybe you have really bad short-term memory, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. It's so great to be with you. I'm going to lead our time of Bible study. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to continue our study in the book of Luke. We've been working through Luke the past many months. And just so you guys know, we're going to stay on Luke taking the occasional interruption for Easter, Christmas, a couple one-offs here or there, but we'll be in the, the Gospel of Luke until 2026 or some point. So like we're gonna get real comfortable with it. It's gonna feel like a pair of old Levi's, if you know what I mean. So, um, but we're in Luke chapter four today. And last week we began, or a couple weeks ago, I guess, we're starting to see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Luke's early chapters talk about his birth, talk about the miraculous birth and some um, really cool stuff that's happening there. But last week and the week before, we started seeing Jesus move into ministry. And the first thing that we see when Jesus is about 30 years of age and he goes into ministry is that he is, he is challenged, which is why we're calling these next several weeks or months challenged. We're seeing that the ministry of Jesus is being challenged, not just by the people listening to it, but by the spiritual forces, and which we'll get into today, all kinds of stuff that's happening. Um, so before we get to Luke chapter 4, though, I'm going to take a pit stop in another Old Testament book um, called the book of Daniel. So you don't have to go there. I'll put all the words up on the screen. But the passage today in Luke chapter 4 is talking about demons. Jesus is in a synagogue and he's um, he's preaching, whatever, and there's a demon-possessed man. Not to get ahead of myself there. And so I just want to talk about the reality of demons. So I, you and I probably have a couple different buckets that we throw our knowledge of demons in. And the big buckets are something like this. They're either real or they're not real. You know, and I just want to go ahead and say from the onset that I'm of the persuasion that the demonic forces, the devil, and those spiritual things are real, okay? Um, But unfortunately, uh, a lot of the understanding that I have of demons, and maybe some of the understanding that even you have of demons and the devil and supernatural forces or whatever, um, my information about those things uh, doesn't really come from the Bible per se, but comes from Hollywood. Anyone? It's okay. Like, there's a whole genre of film about demons and stuff. Does anybody watch those things? I'm not encouraging you to or not discouraging you to, right? I'm just saying, that's a thing. I remember watching The Exorcist, I think, when I was uh, little, like in the 70s, and I had nightmares for weeks. So I'm not encouraging you to do so. I'm just saying those things exist. But unfortunately, we take a lot of our understanding of demons and what they do, uh, what they are, what they can do, what they can't do, and we, and we learn from Hollywood rather than learning from Scripture, um, you guys saw Scream 6 just came out this last weekend. Anybody go see it already? Nobody wants to raise their hands. It's all good, man. I'm probably going to watch it when it comes, when I can stream it. But anyways, um, that's not necessarily a, a, a demon movie. It's a scary movie or whatever. But back in 2005, there was a movie about uh, demons that I watched. And you maybe have heard of it. It's called The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So this is an older movie if you're young in the room. Um, the, that's, it's based, here's a cool thing. 
or whatever. It's a, it's based on a true story. So in the 1970s, there was a, a young woman, a young girl, teenager, I think, in high school, and she started manifesting symptoms of um, what demonic possession might look like. She began to tell her parents she's seen demon faces. She sees the, in her classmates, she sees uh, devils when she's driving down the road. Um, she, she's, she keeps hearing voices, uh, hateful voices, telling her that she's not worth anything. And it was just really strange. And then she started having these, um, these moments where she would go into like a trance. She'd become catatonic. And so of course her parents take her to the hospital. Uh, they run brain scans and they can find nothing wrong with her brain. And this progresses over the next couple of years. I think when she eventually gets into college, she starts having more chances um, and things really get bad for her. And her parents being pious religious people, they're Catholic actually, um, they went to the church and asked if, the, if a priest could come to their house and do an exorcism on their daughter, Emily Rose. And so the church uh, agrees to it. They say, we'll do it, but we're gonna do it in secret. So we don't want anyone to know about it, which I guess makes sense, I don't know. And so for the next year or so, the, the priest would come by and he performed, I think, no less than 66 or 67 exorcisms on this young girl. Of course, she's continuing to get worse. Other doctors are diagnosing her with maybe um, epilepsy. They're giving her medications for all this stuff. Nothing seems to be helping. And at some point, um, because her health had gotten so bad, she wasn't eating, she wasn't drinking, uh, the young Emily Rose dies. And this is where the story gets real interesting because the priest of the church and her parents were arrested and they're arrested for negligent homicide. And the story, the exorcism of Emily Rose, the, the film is telling that story from the courtroom's perspective as lawyers debate their case as whether demons are real or not real. Did these parents do something wrong? And the film raises incredibly profound questions for the viewer and doesn't definitively answer any of them. Fast forward in the film, we know this, that they were convicted. They actually did get convicted of this and whatever. I won't be a spoiler, well, too late, spoiler. So anyways, they're, they're convicted of it or whatever. But um, I ran across a quote from the writer and the director of this film, which this may shock you because this is a, a demon movie, 100% a demon movie. But the writer and director, Scott Derrickson is his name. He is a, a born again, evangelical, devout Christian. Christian. And uh, he was questioned as to why a Christian would make a movie like this about demons. And I have a couple quotes for you. Let me read the first one. Scott Derrickson says this. He goes, one of the things that I wanted to do was to write something that wasn't propaganda. It wasn't about trying to persuade people to think the way that I do, right? He's a Christian, he's not trying to get them to believe that, but rather I want them to recognize the fundamental, imp the fundamental importance of that central question. Does the spirit realm or the spiritual realm exist? And the movie is taking the viewer through that as the lawyers debating if these things are real or not real. Doctors are, are uh, you know, they're getting up and giving their uh, opinions on what's taking place. And, and, and really, not just the church was put on trial, not just the priest, but, but the spiritual reality was put on trial. Is it, is it real or not? Scott Derrickson continues, and he, he asked this question for the, for the viewer. He says, I want them to ask, is there a devil? And more importantly, is there a God? Huh. And if so, what are the implications of that? 
And so this film was to try to get people to, to see that there is a uh, spiritual realm and that we should believe in it. And if that is, if demons are real, then God can be real. And if God is real, then it's quite possible that when I pray to him, he listens and I could, right? Are you, anyone tracking with me? So it's a, a wonderful movie. I'm not even encouraging you to go watch it. It's not like your Sunday thing to do. I'm just saying, I just remember it. And I remember it's a, a profound movie. But we don't just learn about demons from film like this, but we also learn it from scripture. And so this is where I want to take us to Daniel chapter 10. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to read in Daniel chapter 10. And I just want to say on the onset, at no point is the Bible, does the Bible rather ever try to persuade us to believe in the spiritual realm either. It never makes the case that demons are real, the devil is real. It just speaks about them as a matter of fact. God, right, in the, in the pages of scripture, he's not trying to say, you know, those things are demonic. He just says, those things are demonic. And he speaks about these things as if they're a matter of fact. And not only that, but the spiritual realm where God and angels and demons, etc., um, exists. Not only is it a real thing the Bible would, would teach us, but the, the spiritual realm, and this is where it gets, ready? Are you sitting down? The spiritual realm and the physical realm can interact with one another. They overlap with one another. Just got real funky all of a sudden. I know this. Like, what happened? Didn't we just talk about Jesus a lot? Didn't we just, didn't we just talk about, why are we talking about demons all of a sudden? And, and I just want you, I felt like I got quiet, Aaron. Did, I, did you turn me down? No? Is there a demon in the room? I'm just saying. <laughs> That's not a joke. Seriously, I, I feel good. Oh, you can hear me, yeah? All right. So anyways, um, not just that the spiritual realm exists and, and the physical world, which we live in, exists, but they overlap one another, so to speak, and they interact with one another. And this is the story of Daniel chapter 10. I'm just going to give you the Cliff Notes version of it. I'll read a couple verses, starting here, Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. So this gets, gives us a date stamp. Uh, the Israelites are held in captivity in Babylon. And there's a man named Daniel there. He's a prophet of God. He had visions from God and would interpret dreams and stuff. Anyways, in the third year of Cyrus, the king, a word was revealed to Daniel. Daniel had a revelation of sorts. And uh, Daniel's uh, Babylonian name was Belteshazzar. And if you had to choose between one, I'd probably pick Daniel too, just throwing it out there. Um, anyways, and the word that he, the vision that he had, he knew was true, that it came from the Lord. And the vision showed him a great conflict, a great war that was to take place. And he said, and it says here that he understood the word of the revelation and he had an understanding of that vision. So God gives him this vision, this understanding. Daniel pick, is picking up on it. He knows exactly what it is. Now we leave the, uh, the voice of a narrator and now we are introduced to Daniel. Daniel takes the pen at this point and, and starts to write from the first person. And he said, in those days, I, Daniel, so this is him. He's saying this, I was mourning for three weeks. So when he caught the vision from the Lord, it's a very serious vision and he takes it very seriously and he starts to mourn and, to, and fast. Verse three, he says, I ate no delicacies. I ate no meat, including bacon. I ate no, drank no wine. I didn't put on any lotions. I didn't anoint myself. I didn't do anything for, for three full weeks. And, and the impression we're getting here is that he's also praying during this time. That if God oftentimes, when God gives visions or ideas to his people, it's, it's typically it's, it's to motivate us to pray and to intercede and to, to, in, in, um, to try to intervene in, on, in these cases sometimes. And so this is what we see that Daniel is doing. And so verse 10, skipping down to verse 10, and it, he, he writes this, and behold, a hand touched me. What? 
a hand. We don't know who the hand belongs to, what the hand is. We don't know anything, right? But the hand touches me and it sets me trembling on my hands and my knees. And, and then this person speaks to him and says, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. So we have the, uh, the story of Daniel having fasted and prayed and seeking God's wisdom. He's, he's, uh, he's confronted by this individual, some type of being, spiritual being, person thing. We don't know exactly. Um, he tells Daniel that, that God sent him to you and he sent me to you. Um, and when he had spoken this word to me, I, sorry, Daniel says, and after this guy talks to me, I stood up trembling. I would too. Verse 12. Then the, the spiritual being says to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have, I have come because of your words. Pause. So when Daniel is fasting, Daniel is praying, he is, he is seeking God's wisdom. God, at that moment, it sounds like, he sent the spiritual being to help Daniel in this. And, and when he heard the words, but he says, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. Who is this prince of Persia, right? It's another spiritual being. These are kind of all metaphors for these spiritual beings. But Michael, you might know Michael as an archangel. He was one of the chief princes as well. He came to help me for I was left there with the king of Persia. This story goes on and on and on. We could do a whole series on this. Here's what I want you to see. That, that Daniel receives this vision from God. He prays about it. And in the prayers, God hears the prayers and immediately re reacts. The day he says that God heard your prayers, he sent me to help you, Daniel. And yet I was held up by another prince of the air, another spiritual being that didn't want me to come and help you. And I was stuck fighting that fool for like 21 days. But God saw that, praise the Lord, and he sent Michael, an archangel, to come and help me. And I've been released from that spiritual dark, that, that fight. And I've come to you to help you now. Is this strange? Is this crazy? Yeah, and here's, here's all I'm trying to get us to understand is that the spiritual realm, the prince of the king of Persia or whatever, Michael, the archangel, the spiritual being that comes to Daniel, all of that lives in this realm, if you were, this, this plane and, the, and the, the earthly physical world lives just underneath it or whatever. And they overlap and they can interact with one another. Even this morning, I was reminding a friend of mine about prayer that when we pray, hear me, God hears us, hears us. And so often we think he doesn't, maybe because he doesn't answer right away. Maybe something like this is taking place. I don't know what's going on in your life. I have no idea. But sometimes when the answers don't come when we think they should, we get a little disenchanted with the whole process. And we begin to think that maybe God isn't paying attention. Maybe God, maybe whatever. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I am too far gone. Maybe, and you go on and on and on. And I'm just here to tell you that, that the spiritual realm exists, that our prayers are heard by God. That's what he's trying to say here and they interact with one another. Which leads us to Luke chapter four. We're getting ready to start now my message. That's my intro, welcome to Renaissance. <laughs> uh, Luke chapter four, I'm gonna read verses 31 to 37. And let me find it in my Bible. I'll read it all, let's go. And verse 31. And he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, to a city of Galilee, and he, Jesus, was teaching them on the Sabbath. 
And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. Dun, 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 right? An unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down, the man down, in their midst, he came out of him, and having done no harm to the man. And they were all amazed, and they said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Crazy. And reports about Jesus went out into every place in the surrounding region. Oh, how cool would that have been to have been there? Um, let's pray, shall we? Lord, thank you. Thank you for opening our eyes to this reality. We don't want to be people who are shrouded or clouded, rather, in darkness or without a full measure of understanding. God, we know we live in the physical world and a lot of our prayers involve the physical world and a lot of our ideas about you exist in the physical world. But we know, Lord, there's a spiritual realm, a spiritual kingdom as well. And we, we thank you that we can understand that. We ask, God, that you would open our eyes to see and to understand this and that there'd be some benefit to us for having this new information. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for everything that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth, if you were here last week, and he was preaching there, and um, the townspeople didn't receive Jesus, and you have to go back and listen to that message, and it just says that Jesus was not accepted in his hometown. They didn't want to hear his message or whatever. They couldn't maybe believe that he was who he says he was because he grew up with them. They're like, isn't that just Joseph's son? Isn't that just the carpenter's boy? And so he could, they never really believed who he was. So J Jesus leaves Nazareth and comes to this little fishing village called Capernaum. And it says that he leaves Nazareth and he goes down to, to Capernaum. And Capernaum is this little fishing village on the Sea of Galilee. It's the home of Peter and Andrew, the two brothers that are fishermen that become disciples of Jesus. It's the home to James and John, other fishermen there. And Jesus will make Capernaum his sort of home base from this point forward. This is kind of where he'll live. In fact, I think he stays probably at Peter's house. The Bible never really says, but that's kind of his home from this point. And it says he goes down to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, and he does what he normally does here in verse 31. He says that he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So on the day of rest, it's their Saturday. Think of it like our Sunday, if you will. But they, on the day of Sabbath, a lot of the people would go to the synagogue and Jesus was one of those people. He would just go there. They would worship together. They would pray together. They would read scripture together. They'd have teaching together. It was wonderful. And while he's teaching them on the Sabbath, it says, verse 32, that all of the people were astonished at his teaching because he was a person who preached or taught with authority. And I want you to draw your attention here. Um, Usually when rabbis or teachers would teach in a synagogue, they would oftentimes quote other rabbis. So they would say, oh yeah, like Rabbi so-and-so says, we also think this way. And Rabbi so-and-so says, but Jesus, when he teaches, we have no impression that he ever called on anybody else's authority but his own. Huh, unique. And the people were blown away by it because he seemed to possess this 
this incredible knowledge of the Hebrew Bible, an incredible knowledge of the things of God, but he never had to lean on anybody else's teaching but his own. And this immediately piqued people's interest. And so people would gather around him to hear him speak with such authority. Verse 33, and it says that in this synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. Just so you know, when I read that for this week, I thought to myself, um, Luke is making a particular distinction to this demon being unclean. And I had this strange thought, and just go with me, the little thought experiment here. Are there such things as clean demons? <laughs> like, why, was, why is Luke making this distinction that there's an unclean demon? And let me just try to give you maybe some understanding as to what Luke is doing here. Luke, as you know, is a physician. He's not Jewish. He, he, he was a, he's a Gentile, so to speak, but he's come to faith in Jesus. And he's writing his letter, this gospel of Luke, to a man named Theophilus, another Gentile Greek-speaking person, right? So they don't have any understanding of the Jewish law and the Jewish rules and all that stuff. But because of their Greek understanding, Greeks believed in demons. They believed in good demons and bad demons. We might say angels and demons. You see the difference? But, but, but what Luke is trying to say, that this man who has the spirit in him, it is an unclean demon. Hear me. It's evil. Its intention is evil. Its, its thoughts are dark. Its voice is dark and it lies. And it's inside of this man who's made his way into the synagogue. Where? In the synagogue. Look around you right now. Yeah, right. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. <laughs> Don't think for an instant, you know, everyone in the church is all spiritual. And anyways, we'll leave it there. You never know who's coming to church, right? So he's in the synagogue and there was a man with an unclean spirit. And Luke is trying to get us to understand um, what that means. Since so this spirit, this demon cries out through the man, verse 34, and he says, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. I love that the demon immediately says, I know who you are. When Jesus is talking, this demon knows. Now, how does the demon know Jesus? Luke doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us. So we get to have some fun with this. We don't know exactly how the demon knows Jesus. It's possible, right? And let me share this with you by way of backstory. The Bible doesn't tell us, just so you know, where demons come from, right? How many people have heard that demons are fallen angels? Yeah, I'm, I'm in that camp. That's what I've believed, right? And I've always thought that. I, I'll be honest with you, I have no real robust demonology figured out at all. I, I know a little bit and I don't know much at all. So I'm just giving you what I have, which ain't a whole lot, okay? But know this, the Bible never says, and this is where demons came from. It just does not do that. There is some idea that maybe they are angels that had fallen with Satan when they rebelled against God. It's a very good, plausible um, idea, maybe. We don't know, it doesn't say. Uh, another possible possibility is that there was this, um, these things called Nephilim or the sons of God in uh, Genesis chapter six, and they were having, um, kids in the room, they were having relations with women um, and it, they had offspring and these offspring were judged in the flood and when they died, these disembodied spirits maybe became demons. There's some credibility to that argument too. We don't know, we don't know, we don't know. But all I'm saying, when this demon that was inside this man sees Jesus, he knows him. And he does two things. He speaks to Jesus um, 
manliness, if you will. He says, you are Jesus of Nazareth. He speaks to his human nature and he also calls him the Holy One of God. He speaks to the, the two parts of God that he was both divine and human. And he knows also that Jesus is the judge that will one day judge the demon and will one day destroy him. And he's wondering, asking, have you come to destroy us? This is so bizarre, but look at the language flip from first person to third person or, what, or for, for one person singular to plural. He says, I know who you are. Have you come to destroy us? Is that the demon is inquiring on behalf of all of the demons that exist in the spiritual realm. Is this the time of our end? And Jesus, rather than answer his question, he rebukes the demon. He just tells him to be silent, just to shut up. I don't need to hear you right now. I'm trying to tell people about the gospel. I'm trying to teach you something else and I don't need to hear. I don't know what that was, that was strange. Can I be honest with you? 100%. I, I hand on my chest, on my Bible, prayer to God, this real thing. I knew when I was going to talk about demons today that weird stuff was going to happen. <laughs> I promise you, me and Roach, Ryan Cochran, we call him Roach, long story, but he, we were in the back room, in the prayer room, praying right before I came up here, and I, I kept saying, Ryan, something strange is going to happen today. So welcome to Renaissance. Um, <laughs> and that's okay. We don't care. It doesn't bother us. Jesus rebukes this spirit. Derek Prince um, has a pretty good book on demons. I've been reading it this past week. Um, honestly, I felt like the Lord led me to read it. I've had this book for probably seven years. It was a gift that somebody gave me. It's been sitting on my bookshelf. If you've ever been to my office, I like to show off my books. I hardly ever read them, but I have lots of them. <laughs> but as I was prepping for this marriage, that I said, I said to myself, I think I have a book on demons and I found this book by Derek Prince. And so I'm reading it. But Derek Prince um, had a couple things that he thought was very important about this story. And I want to share just uh, three or four of them with you. Number one, Jesus rebukes the demon, not the man. He rebukes the darkness that is inside of him, probably causing him to do things he doesn't want to do. Probably, I mean, who wants to yell out in a church service? Who wants to yell out at the son of God? You know, who wants to do all these things? But this demon sort of takes charge of him and, and, and the, the compassion and love of Jesus speaks to the dark force inside of him, not the person. And for, for us, maybe I'm looking for applications, you know, but for us, it's like, we need to be mindful that, that people are more than their actions. Can you just say amen with me? Yeah, and I'm not at all implying that the devil made you do it and you're a bunch, you know what I mean? I'm not at all there. I'm just saying, if Jesus can look past the action that this person is taking and understand that something is driving him to do something, then we at least can do something similar. We at least can sit in the place of going, okay, um, that dude's a mess. Like, like you, everyone knows the guy that's a mess, right? And, but maybe he's just a mess for uh, some reason that I just don't fully understand yet. So I'm going to show him compassion and love. I'm not going to try to fix him. I'm not going to do any of these types of things. I'm just going to speak Jesus to him, speak love to him, and see if God can, can do so. Is this all tracking with anyone? All right, so Derek Prince um, points that out, which I thought was very, very smart. He deals with the demon, not the man. 
And I also love that he expelled the demon from the man, not the man from the synagogue, which kind of goes along with point number one there. They don't kick him out of the room just because he acts up. They don't kick him out of the room because he didn't follow protocol. They don't kick him out of the room because he didn't do the things right. They didn't kick him out of the room because he wasn't dressed right or whatever. They didn't kick him out. They just dealt with the demon and kicked him out and let the man stay. And that's what we want. We want to be accepting to people. Derek Prince goes on to say that it's reasonable to assume that this man was probably a regular attender of the synagogue. This is just coloring outside the lines, but that's probably true. We don't know. We have no idea what's happening with this guy. Is this his hometown of Capernaum and he hears that Jesus is coming? Wouldn't you go? Like if you found yourself doing things you don't want to do, thinking thoughts you don't want to think, hearing voices you don't want to hear, wouldn't you go to the place, or the place where this guy named Jesus, the rabbi, is teaching and, and he's been healing people and doing crazy stuff and the word about Jesus is, is increasing, his fame is increasing, wouldn't you go there? Yeah, maybe. And maybe this is his home church. Maybe he, he knew Jesus was coming. I don't know, but he's there. And he's coming and Jesus hears the demon and tells him to go. It's possible, again, coloring outside the lines here, that this person didn't even know he had a demon. I mean, that's possible, isn't it? <laughs> Is it possible to be under the influence of some spiritual force and you have no understanding of it? I feel like Scott Derrickson. I'm just asking the questions, letting you guys try to figure it out. We could talk a lot about whether a Christian can be possessed by a demon or oppressed by a demon, and, and that's fine. We can parse that language if you'd like. I, I just, for, for us this morning, I just want us to know that, that because the spiritual realm exists and because those dark forces stand against everything that God is trying to do on the earth, it would just make sense to me that those spiritual forces would also stand against you if you're trying to follow after God. I mean, it just makes sense to me. You don't have to be like super, super intelligent to figure that part out, right? That if you're trying to chase after the things of God, of course these things would try to influence it. Now, what, how can they influence it? Can they give you a flat tire on the way to church? I don't know. I don't even know. I used to make fun of people that said, man, a leaf blew across my window and God was talking to me in it. You know what I mean? I was driving down, I looked up at this billboard and it had a three on it. And the three reminds me of the things that God said to me. I'm making fun of friends of ours. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, and I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, but everything was spiritual. Everything was this. A friend of mine used to go into a hotel room in every new city she'd go to and she'd go, stop before we walk in, we got to cast out the devils. Dark things have happened in this hotel room. And I'm like, you don't know. Dark things have happened in every hotel room. <laughs> Period. Demon or no demon. I mean, it was, everything was spiritual for her. So I don't, I don't want to flip that way. I don't want to overemphasize all of this. But for us, we, I want us to be aware that it's quite possible that there, there are things influencing. That maybe thoughts... I don't know how this works, dude. I, I, seriously, I don't have a demonology fig, like fully fleshed out. But maybe thoughts that sometimes you have aren't really your thoughts. You know, maybe, maybe things you consider and you mull around in your mind time and time again don't really come from you. Maybe they come from another place, a spirit. I don't know how they do it. I don't know if it's just, if they just know humanity enough to know that if they just put a little teaser out there, you'll, you'll chase after it. I don't know, but I just, I just have to believe that there are spiritual forces at work against us because they're against the Lord. 
Last thing Derek Prince points out, and I'll try to wind up with some of this, is that Jesus appears to be in no way embarrassed by the interruption, in no way bothered by the disturbance, like things are happening strange all around him, soundboards are making weird noises, all kinds of weird stuff, and Jesus just goes right through it, doesn't seem to be bothered by it at all which is sort of the opposite of me. I, I'm a person who's self-diagnosed uh, myself with adult ADHD, anyone? I've always wondered like why I can't focus and if uh, somebody walks by my window or something, I get distracted and why I drink um, what seems to be 50 cups of coffee every day just to stay focused on a single task. Um, but I'm easily distracted. If you text me a message ever, just so you know, I'm ignoring it, 100%. Bart, speak to me, Bart, Bart. Nobody in this room has been ignored more by me than Bart Idol. I'm just telling you. And it frustrates him. And I'm just, I'm just by way of an apology and an excuse is I don't, I don't respond to texts because if I do, I get distracted by them. I just, so if I'm in something, I'm just like, I don't do anything. Um, when when uh, we do family Sunday in here, you know, every couple months, we'll let all the kids come up here. Do you have any idea what it's like to preach to a room of, of squirmy kids with bags of Fritos and, and, um, and crayons. And, and, and every four seconds you hear, shh, 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 sit, sit, shh. But you know how difficult that is? So as I, so I consider this and I'm, I consider to myself as, as Ryan and I were even praying this morning, Lord, what would we do if a demon began to manifest in the service this morning? Um, this is not an invitation. This is not. I, I will say this unequivocally, it won't freak us out. Some of us might freak out, but it's not, it's, it's fine. We look to the pages of scripture and we go, Jesus dealt with it, we could deal with it. The authority that, that he had, he's given to his disciples. And so we're fine with it. We're not going around looking, we're not flipping up rocks trying to find, right? But, but when, you, when you talk about things like this, sometimes the, the dark spiritual forces, the demons, the whatever these things are, they sometimes can reach, they just lash out. They just do things. Um, I heard a quote yesterday in a, a TV show that I was watching that I thought was appropriate. I will not tell you what TV show it was. I will preface this, my wife is out of town, so I was watching a show that she probably wouldn't approve of. So I'll just leave it at that. But this character in this TV show that I was watching, um, was, was talking about doing something. She's a queen and she's talking about making this decision and her advisors and counselors were like, don't do it because if you do this, you're gonna upset the rulers in the city. And she goes, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to upset them because when they're upset, they lash out, they're angry. It's only when the snake reaches out to strike can you find it and chop its head off. And I thought, ooh. That's pretty good. So I'm not itching for a fight. I'm not itching for a fight with anything demonic. I, like I've had people call me at night, like legit. My, my phone rang at 10.30 one night on a Sunday night and a, a, a couple young adults had called, said, Jeff, you need to come over here right now. We're in this house and we think there's a demon. And um, I looked at my watch and I had two kids in bed. My wife's in bed next to me. I asked two questions. I said, number one, are you guys drinking? They said, uh-huh, we're drinking. I said, all right. I said, did you go looking for this demon? Because they, they went into a house that was empty and they thought there was, and they said, uh-huh. I said, well, good luck, click. <laughs> That's a true story, I promise you. I said, I am not getting out of bed for you fools. But let me know how it goes, call me Monday. I promise you, that's what I said, I promise you. So I'm not looking for anything, I'm not. 
my heart would be that we would be a people that we'd be biblically centered and biblically based, that we not be people who live in a sort of half-truth idea of what God living looks like, that there are spiritual forces at work. We're not oblivious to them, we know them, and yet we know the greater force. We know the, the God of everything, the creator of everything. All these demons, whether they came from fallen angels or the, 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 the offspring of the Nephilim and the, and the women, whatever, it doesn't matter. All of those things are created by someone. We serve the creator, the creator of everything. That's the one true God that we serve. And so I just want our minds to be open to that. This is a very um, unusual message, I know, but it says here, last verse, verse 37. And after Jesus did all of this, verse 37, it says, and uh, the reports about him went out into every place, every place. I'll tell you what, if I could pick, if I could pick the reports that people would speak about, me or even about this church is that it would be about the, the mighty work that Jesus does for his people here. That's what I want. Like, okay, cool, lights are great, haze is fun, the band sounds great. Amen, amen, amen. Cafe, breakfast, burritos, anyone, all the stuff, lattes, let's go, let's go. Cool small groups, cool everything, I, all that stuff. But I want people to encounter Jesus. That's what I want. I want lives to be transformed and changed. And I want people to leave this place going, that's a Jesus church. That's a church that, that introduces me to Jesus, leads me to Jesus. When they pray for me, it's always Jesus. It's, it's Jesus everything. And so when people leave and go into the alleyways of our city or the highways out of our city, that they're talking about Jesus when they leave here, because that's what they were talking about when Jesus left that church, synagogue. Amen. Looks like Joe Alville made it into the room. Congratulations. Joe. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. It's okay to have fun in church. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for everything you do. And thank you for the truth. You know, the Bible tells us that truth sets people free. And you can't, you can't get set free by anything else. And so we want the truth. And God, we want the whole truth about everything. We trust you. We trust your spirit. We trust uh, how you lead us and guide us. You've equipped us with every good thing that we need. We know that you're a good God and you treat us well. Father, we pray for those people in the room that are possibly being influenced myself included, being influenced by the spiritual forces that are against your work in our lives. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and that we would speak against those things, just like Jesus spoke against that devil, that demon. And we would just rebuke those thoughts. We would rebuke those impure desires, and we would just rebuke them in Jesus' name and move on. And Lord, we know, yes, that there, there is a battle of our flesh too. We know that not everything is the devil made me do it. And so we ask for help there too, Lord God, that our flesh would be strengthened, that our inner man would, be, would grow in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray for all these things, but most importantly, Lord God, we, we thank you, Lord, for the work that we can do, live this life because of the work that Jesus has done for us. It's his name. That, that carries authority. It's his name that is above every other name as we've already been singing about. It is, it is the name of Christ, it's the work of Jesus, your son, that, that, um, that leads us, God. So we just thank you for everything you do. Help us to be a church, Lord, that exalts you, that is not afraid to step into the dirty mess with other people. 
who's not afraid to, um, yeah, Lord, to, is not afraid to, to get involved. Oh, that's, that's the word I think that the Lord might be sharing, um, that there's so many people that sit outside the looking in and, and desperately want to change things on the inside, but refuse to get in. And so, um, I don't know if that's making sense. I, I'll, I'll have to decompress later. But Lord, I thank you for that, that, that we would be a people that would enter in to the work that you're doing, that we not be spectators on the outside. So I pray over Renaissance, Lord, that you would lead us into your work. Um, you're, you're not done doing work in our city. We know that to be true. You're not done doing work in our lives. We know that to be true. And we ask that you would lead us, God. We thank you for everything that you do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 